welcome to European Talks, uh, the only podcast in the Western Balkans that focuses on EU's affairs in the region. Uh, in this episode, uh, we will speak about the EU's policy to reconcile private and professional aspects of life, or how to strike a balance between work and life. Achieving this objective has become seriously exacerbating during the COVID pandemic, as this crisis has led to the new phenomena like widespread work from home and expanding expectations for women. Uh, so we will touch upon the lessons learned uh, from the crisis. And since we are focused on the Western Balkans, we will also speak about the changes that the EU membership would bring to work-life balance to the candidate countries. And to discuss these issues, I have a great pleasure of introducing you, Ms. Katarina Ivankovic-Knežević, uh, the director at the European Commission's uh, DG Employment, uh, Social Affairs and Inclusion, and uh, also a Croatian national uh, who was uh, very much involved in uh, Croatia's accession process uh, to the EU, and in particular uh, with regards uh, to this policy. Uh, Ms. Knežević Ivankovic, uh, big welcome to our podcast. Yes, thank you very much, and thank you for inviting me and organizing this important podcast, I think it's of interest of all of us, uh, not uh -huh. only in the EU, but uh, all of you who are in the, in the pre-accession process and are uh, streaming to becoming a EU member uh, state once. Exactly. So uh, let's start uh, then with the rationale behind regulating this issue and uh, what context lies behind bringing the Work-Life Balance Directive in particular in the EU context. Could you give us a bit more um, details? Sure, and uh, th thank you also for having interest in, in this important topic because Work-Life Balance is, I would, I would dare to say, cross-cutting cross issue in so many areas. Uh, and uh, despite really huge progress, that EU has made in, in uh, let's say, last few decades, we still see that gender inequalities are very visible in the labor markets. Uh, uh -huh. They are very visible in the employment and uh, in the end in the quality of life, if, if we want to say so. Uh, we still see all, uh, all across uh, the EU member states that women are facing uh, unfavorable labor market situation and uh -huh. uh, they are still overrepresented in uh, let's say part time work arrangements in working real, uh, irregular hours or uh -huh. uh, really having jobs in in uh, low paid sectors so gender inequality as such is uh, the underlying let's say problem that stands yeah. behind yeah, uh -huh. yeah that was, that was Indeed, that was indeed the underlying problem that was uh, assessed before the Work-Life Balance Directive was mm -hmm. proposed. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to have in mind the, the historical timeline when uh, the mm -hmm. directive was proposed. So it was uh, 2016 when we started, mm -hmm. think the Commission started thinking and reflecting how to address uh, the position of women in the uh -huh. in the labor market markets uh, all across the EU. Uh, we did the final preparations in 2017 and 2018, and then indeed in uh, September 2018 we started with negotiating uh, the work-life balance. It uh -huh. took us uh, it took us several months, not quite a long time, <laughs> but uh -huh. it showed 
which, which shows that the member states had huge interest into accepting uh, this directive because you know that for some other legal instruments, the dialogues have been, uh, trialogues have been, and the proposals have been pending even for more than a decade. And just to mention uh, women on boards directive, on the management boards, yes. or uh, the overall anti-discrimination directive where really uh, various aspects lie behind why these directives are not adopted. But nevertheless, let's, let's not go there. Uh, let's, let's discuss about uh, work-life balance. So the, the work-life, this directive had a really strong uh, origin also in the European pillar of social rights. Yes. And European pillar of social rights is uh, represents a very important document for all of us uh, across the EU uh, because uh, this is a list of 20 values or 20 principles that were proclaimed by uh, European institutions, by European Parliament, by the Council and the Commission, which means that all the member states proclaimed and supported the, the European pillar of social rights. and. Uh, in in the pillar we have several principles that are relevant for gender equality so it's it's a uh, principle two which is uh, the core let's say gender equality principle and then we have principle nine which speaks about work-life balance principle 11 speaks about child care 15 about old age and pensions and 18 about long-term care and uh, principle nine, which, which uh, speaks about uh, work-life balance, says that uh, uh, refers uh, actually to the right of parents and people with care responsibilities mm -hmm. to have a suitable leave, to have flexible working arrangements and access to care services. Mm -hmm. And it also calls for equal access to and uh, balanced use of these arrangements by both women and men. Yes. And uh, uh, in the directive, it's clear that parenthood and caring responsibilities uh, are one of the main reasons for women, the women's underrepresentation in the labor markets. Uh -huh. And also the fact that I, I think we are all very much aware is that women are those uh, who predominantly take care of families and domestic chores and this is uh -huh. this is what we call unpaid work yes. also also inflexible work-life balance options and underdeveloped care services uh, prevent women from remaining or returning to work and this is linked with insufficient early childcare and education or mm -hmm. with um, insufficient long-term care because women do not only take care of children, they take care of also on dependent uh, household members, uh -huh. which is usually uh, elderly persons. And uh, you and myself, we come from the uh, countries where this is still predominantly uh, care uh -huh. of elderly persons is predominantly taken care by families. The uh -huh. long-term care institutions, especially elderly homes are underdeveloped and uh, this is not only the case for, for Croatia or Serbia let's say this is also visible in many member states and I think uh -huh. the COVID crisis has shown all the weaknesses that uh, uh -huh. the institutions have across uh, the EU uh, 
uh, and I, I don't want to pinpoint or <laughs> point fingers on any member state, but we have seen and we have identified that in, in some member states the death rate was extremely high in institutions uh, that were taking care of elderly citizens. Uh -huh. That uh, what was very much visible uh, across EU was that uh, long-term care institutions did not have any contingency planning in the light of what would happen if some crisis occur. Uh, we had insufficient uh, numbers of carers, of professionals, the medical staff, but also nurses or just uh, even additional staff that could, could provide support. And this is, uh -huh. these are all, I think, uh, reasons that uh, put women in a quite a difficult position uh -huh. when it comes to the uh, labor market and when it comes to the caring uh, responsibilities, because it weakens their uh, position to progress, to improve, it weakens the uh -huh. position to develop a full career as they could. Uh -huh. And also, uh -huh. yes, go ahead. Uh, so the work-life balance directive then uh, specifically prescribes uh, certain measures to address all these uh, issues that have even become more important and serious with the COVID crisis. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even though at the time that we were negotiating and adopting the work-life balance, we did not have in mind the crisis that will happen in 2020. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But uh, it even showed that uh, if uh, certain principles were put in place, maybe the crisis would be, uh, uh, wouldn't be so difficult and wouldn't hit uh, so much the vulnerable population. Uh, maybe to come back to the directive, uh, mm -hmm. the main aspects of the directives are uh, the fact that it really uh, uh, aims at setting minimum standards to help reconcile work and family responsibilities. And here I would like to highlight uh, the word minimum standards because during uh, the nego negotiations and now with the adoption, we see that many member states, uh, EU member states, have uh, much higher standards than uh -huh. those identified in the directive. And of course, the aim of, of uh, the European Commission and European legislators was never to, to undermine the importance of uh, those member states. And of course, they were uh, they are going to keep the level of the protection that they have. And this is also important to look into the context of, uh, let's say, the Serbian situation, where yes. the parental leave is uh, longer than the one uh, mm -hmm. established in the in the directive and also when you say when it, the, the one established in the directive it means that's the minimal requirement and then the country can go beyond this but never go behind that minimal requirement yes, never below yes never below, below. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes and it means that uh, each member state has to provide 10 days of paternity leave mm -hmm. uh, also, the parental leave is uh, the right to the parental leave is four months for each parent, and mm -hmm. out of those four months, two months months are non-transferable. So, mm -hmm. which means, if, uh, for example, in in some member states, 
uh, if a father uses two months, then the rest could be transferred uh, to a mother or uh, vice versa. So this, is, this was the idea of the legislator that both parents take uh, on board the, the caring responsibilities and parental leave. It uh -huh. also introduces uh, the right to carers leave. And this uh -huh. is the, the first time in EU legislation that we have introduced this right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, for the workers to have uh, to request uh, five days per year for caring uh, responsibilities. Uh, mm -hmm. This, when we were reflecting, what could be because uh, it doesn't seem a lot. It's it's uh, in a in a way it's a week. Uh, many member states do have such a stipulation either mm -hmm. in the laws or in the collective agreements or in some other bylaws but uh, we thought that it, it's important to set it at the level of the eu so that mm -hmm. each worker can use this possibility and mm -hmm. it, it of course it, it's not sufficient to take care in those five days of your of the dependent household members but sometimes when the situation is that you really require one or two days off either to uh, organize something uh, in ad administrative terms or uh, to uh, take some other uh, medical appointments or so uh -huh. that one can uh -huh. and also we are introducing the new uh, instrument which is a right to request flexible working arrangements by both by working parents and also carers which uh -huh. means that person has dependent household members and is a caring uh, or is a carer then uh -huh. this person have the right to request the, the employer to have some kind of flexible working arrangements and to be honest i think also this covid crisis has shown us that the flexible working arrangements are possible especially uh -huh. in the professions where you are not uh, directly linked to your workplace or you don't have to you are not performing perform, performing uh, work that is uh, vital to be physically present like uh, doctors or some other professions which is absolutely not impossible <laughs> to do remotely and uh, but all of those professions that could work uh, in a different uh, way i think the whole future of uh, working arrangements and the future of uh, labor laws all uh -huh. across europe are going to change uh, due to the COVID crisis uh -huh. and uh, i'm not sure that it's for the worst to be honest because i think that many things could be prevented and many things could be done uh, even better in in such a remote way and never to mention uh -huh. like the costs of um, uh, permises oh, or oh, electricities oh. or uh, really the green deal <laughs> as we uh -huh. say the greening costs could be uh, valuable if we manage to set uh, different working arrangements so in a way i think this is a test for all of us and this is it is for the future uh, to show how much we will be able to work differently and i think also uh, this shows that sometimes even the slightest change 
which we often call, you know, social innovation. And in the end, social innovation is nothing but a change in the usual patterns or usual behaviors uh -huh. that leads to, to, to a better or to improvement of the, of the overall uh, position and the status. I think this is going to be also visible with uh, the possibility to request uh, flexible working arrangements. Mm -hmm. And uh, let me now ask you uh, from the perspective of the youngest, let's say, EU member state, uh, Croatia, um, what, what difference do you feel uh, in terms of uh, Croatia being a member state and the candidate country? Uh, we know that this uh, policy and the negotiating chapter dealing with it is not particularly challenging for the candidate countries since uh, uh, most, let's say, of the competencies are still uh, within uh, the states themselves. And uh, that comparing the Western Balkan countries in this matter, we are all quite well aligned with the EU legislation uh, uh, in, in this respect. It's just now about uh, implementation. Um, what do you see as the main differences, being a candidate country and the member state? Well, besides being being around the big table and and uh, discussing about the free future of the EU, I think the biggest the biggest benefit is really that uh, joining a, a big EU uh, member states family, you have uh, many possibilities and many opportunities that you don't have as a pre-accession country and that you don't have as non-EU member. And uh, if you only want to see the benefits uh, from free movement of, of persons where, you know, our, our children are able to study uh, abroad, so to study mm -hmm. all across you, or where our workers do not have any problems in working in, in a different member states, if you want to say, see the, the benefits of, uh, uh, for example, uh, my teenager boys uh, think that uh, the abolishment of roaming system, the mobile roaming system, was the biggest invention of the EU ever. But uh, you, those those small things that we consider small are really uh, making life uh, much easier, if I can say, from the practical perspective of of. Uh, an EU and non-EU citizen. But in the light of the of the benefits, the real benefits from the EU, I think it definitely comes with the possibilities one has through EU funding. And uh, we still have many member states newer, let's say of the newer uh, age, that are net beneficiaries of EU funding and mm -hmm. uh, that benefits hugely from being able to use uh, different EU sources. I think mm -hmm. it's uh, one of the maybe uh, latest and most visible examples is, uh, for example, after the earthquake that Zagreb faced in March. Uh, just now, a few weeks ago, Zagreb received a huge amount of 68 million, uh, uh, 68 Yes, million for the first tranche of uh, euro for uh, renovation and for reconstruction of Zagreb and will receive additional funding as well in order to mitigate the consequences of, of uh, the earthquake. Oh. Or, for example, in the light of uh, the area that we are uh, yes. discussing today, mm -hmm employment, uh, social inclusion, and, and uh, education and skills uh, 
measures. Uh, Croatia is using uh, European Social Fund and before the before the ESF, so in the pre-accession time, for the seven years, Croats uh, had 189 million euro for almost 10 years, and then in only uh, next uh, financial perspective, uh, mm -hmm. for the ESF, it was almost 10 times more. So. Mm -hmm. This is something that you don't uh, maybe reflect a lot uh, when you are a pre-accession country, but this is huge potential. And mm -hmm. if we see, for example, that uh, in Croatia, majority of the labor market policies are uh, EU co-financed, uh, Croats have introduced the simplified cost method for uh, some uh, labor market policies, which even uh, simplifies the possibility to use the funds according mm -hmm. to the national rules, of course. Uh, the same goes for uh, inclusion of uh, children with disabilities in the educational system mm -hmm. or for prolonging working hours of kindergartens. That mm -hmm. was that was the last project I also participated in and I also uh, prepared, which was about, uh, and then I left for Brussels, which mm -hmm. was about securing that the working hours of the kindergartens are adopted to, to the working hours of, of parents. So mm -hmm. the kindergartens were open until late in the evening because uh, we had the situation in, in Croatia, as you have it in Serbia as well, that some parents work in shifts, that some parents cannot uh, uh, have the children uh, taken care of in a different way uh -huh. in the afternoon. And uh, there, therefore, uh, it was done in a way that, of course, respect, uh, respecting all the uh, pedagogical standards, namely the one that says that children cannot be longer than nine, nine hours in the, in the preschool institution, but uh -huh. organizing work in shifts, employing additional teachers, securing additional support when it comes to the food or, or some equipment. Uh, mm -hmm. I think around 20 excellent projects were implemented in, in Croatia. And therefore, uh, maybe coming, coming closely to the end, I would just like to, to once again emphasize the importance of being active, being proactive. Mm -hmm. As member states, you are at the table where the decisions are taken. Mm -hmm. There are no small or big member states because when it comes in the end to the, to the making, to the overall decision, mm -hmm. sometimes your voice is the one that uh, uh, creates a balance on this or the mm -hmm. other side. And therefore, it is, it is a huge benefit to be there to actively participate not only in the implementation, but in the design and in the creation of the policy, mm -hmm. and then, of course, have say something when the policies are implemented in your members. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So besides the mere decision-making role, the huge difference is the access to funding, which in Croatia's case, it's uh, in this particular policy, as you said, some 10 times bigger. And the fact that you could uh, yourself tailor-made the projects according to your local needs absolutely mm -hmm. uh, that's this the mm -hmm. that's the mm -hmm. best conclusion so far Sena.
uh, oh, that, that's a really um, motivating and inspiring, I think, for us, the candidate countries from the Western Balkans to keep uh, pushing our uh, responsibles and our whole society, drive it towards the EU membership. Uh, Ms. Ivankovic Knežević, uh, many thanks for this very, very informative and uh, useful uh, conversation. I really enjoyed it and I um, hope to see you again in some other uh, context and hopefully to uh, work with you and exchange uh, and learn from um, good uh, practices from our more experienced uh, neighbors. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and I will be very happy to, to continue this discussion. I did not speak today about the child guarantee, a new instrument that EU is developing, uh -huh. but maybe next time we will have more possibility to go into yes. really where in the future are we taking the EU in the light uh -huh. of, of uh, the social inclusion and addressing poverty uh -huh. of, of different angles. So thank you very much. Very good. That's an excellent teaser for our future and next uh, discussion with you. Uh, dear listeners, uh, thank you very much for your attention and uh, keep following our work. Thank you.